and welcome to Ordinary Life. Ordinary Life is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church, and we are glad that you can join us in this way. Um, before we get into today's topic, some announcements. Uh, the usual, uh, if you would like to make an offering, we're going to pass the plate around. We do that virtually. We do that virtually. And you go online and Richard Wingfield has prepared a video for you uh, to know how to um, make a donation. And also on the landing page for the live stream, Tim Leatherwood has put some helpful information about how to improve your live stream experience. So you might not want to read that right this minute, but it is there. If you have some problems, if you get kicked off of the live stream, you can read that and, and likely enhance your experience. The church <clears throat> is upgrading its equipment as we speak now, and uh, Tim says that that should improve your experience, but we're tr doing everything on our end to uh, make sure that that happens. Remember the needs of EAC, peanut butter, um, Vienna sausage, anything that you could bring by. I don't think they'll be open tomorrow, but some any day in the week. Things that don't need can openers. Things right, that, that can, don't need can openers. Right, right. Would be good. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we, I had very little to do with it. Holly and Richard Wingfield mm -hmm. did an online art auction. Yeah. Which, which you guys heard from me about 800 times last week, reminding you about the art auction. Sorry and thank you, because those of you who participated and got involved helped us to raise about $3,000, which is going to um, three different organizations that are working with more vulnerable communities during this time to make sure that they have access to resources, have access to food, have access to healthcare, or even rent. Um, uh, relief uh, right now during joblessness, et cetera. So those organizations are Faye Esperanza, which is part of St. Paul's, um, BLM, BLM H HTX, I can't say that fast, which is Black Lives Matter Houston, Texas, working with communities to just get the basics like face masks. And then with Project Curate, who's also working with um, people who need help with rent relief and food relief. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, and I hope everyone's satisfied with their winnings. And every item sold. Every item sold, thanks to one final bidder named Douglas Curley. Oh, that's great. <laughs> you know that. I, should I tell that story that the daily spiritual practice was the one? <laughs> we'll tell it later. <laughs> if you have a pastoral concern or need, contact us, call the church, 713-528-0527. You can contact me through the Ordinary Life website, and you'll have another invitation in a few minutes to do that. So uh, I just want to say that uh, no matter who you are and no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. And this would be the point after the announcements when normally we would do this. Yeah. But these are not normal times. Mm. Um. So before we get into what um, we have planned, uh, cards on the table, Holly has planned and I've been coerced into doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first thing, I, I want to say something to you about where we are in Ordinary Life. The first thing I want to say is that Ordinary Life, as you have known it, will return. I don't know when. But we will be back as we were even better. And so will the church. On March the 8th, when we gathered here, I looked back in my records and saw that we had over 150 people attending. I talked about living uh, with wisdom and compassion with spacious hearts. We've been being guided by the work of Karen Armstrong and... Um, in that talk, I said that we are stardust that composes the universe and gives the universe a way to reflect upon itself. And um, to be human is to give expression to the great mystery that holds everything together. And I talked in that talk about some of the things that blocks us from moving into this territory. 
uh, people are resistant to change, but we have the choice to decide whether we will live with compassion and not. We are responsible for what we are and for what we do. Um, it's difficult for me to understand the analytics that are on the Squarespace website that you access to download or view this live stream. I went back and looked and there were 300 connections that Sunday. Doesn't mean that there were 300 people who were live streaming because if you get kicked off the live stream and then you join back, that counts as another. Um, the next Sunday, Holly and I talked and to co-talk, uh, can you hear me now? Yeah. And I don't remember whether that was something that we had planned a long time ahead or not. Do you recall? Um, we planned it a couple of weeks ahead and sort of t progressing on this adult faith journey. What does it look like to have an adult faith? Holly and I have been co-teaching about once a month mm -hmm. together. And so that could have been already scheduled. Yes, yeah. But when we showed up that Sunday, nobody was here. And when people came to St. Paul's, there were people outside who said, you can't come in. Mm -hmm. And it happened like that. We didn't know what was coming. Mm -hmm. Nobody could have predicted. I was part of the worship team that Sunday, and there was one person in the congregation that was the uh, lay reader mm. for that Sunday. Um, but this space was empty. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about ordinary life in this time of pandemic and what you can expect and what you can look forward to. Um, Tim Leatherwood has, uh, that, that, that Sunday we did live stream. I asked Tim today uh, if we could have had this experience five years ago. And he said, yes, we were just actually starting live streaming five years ago. Six years ago, you couldn't have had this. Mm -hmm. So if you couldn't come into the building, you would not have any experience of anything that was going on at St. Paul's at that particular time. And when we began doing this, we had no idea what a long stretch of time we might be, be facing. And um, I'm not whining, I don't want to do that, <laughs> but this pandemic started just at the beginning of Holy Week, where traditionally St. Paul's has services every day of some kind, sometimes three a day. And we were just feeling our way along during that time. We started live streaming and now there's no live streaming being done from the church except what you're seeing right now. Um, clergy come to church isolated, record sections of the service independently and then Tim puts them together um, later. I have a favor that I would like to ask of you. I would like for you, not now, but when this is over, I'd like for you to go to the Ordinary Life website and go to the um, live stream page or worship, worship online, ways to connect, and scroll down till you see what you see in the upper right-hand part of your screen, words from our pastors. And if you scroll down far enough, you will see the weekly pastoral message of May 22nd that I delivered. I'd like for you to look at that. I'd like you to see some theological reflection on what it means to live in this time of pandemic. Uh, I think you will find it to be a very realistic and I hope a very um, hopeful message. Um, something we all love has come to an end. That's true for me. Um, I'm, that's true for the people who gathered here. I can't think of anything that defines and, and moves my life as much as writing and being able to come to Ordinary Life and give the talks that I gave here. And that's true for a lot of people. We have a lot of people who showed up live and a lot of people online. And we gathered to make peace, love, joy, patience, and humility with each other. And uh, it was gratifying for us all, I think. Or you wouldn't have come back or I wouldn't keep doing it. Um, our senior pastor, uh, Dr. Jeff McDonald, has put together a task force 
to explore steps that be, can be taken so that the church can reopen. And I want you to know that I, too, have put together a task force that um, is going to explore how we navigate the space between now and then. Ordinary life will not be in charge of when the church reopens. That's St. Paul's uh, decision. But um, I have put together a task force consisting of the steering committee, of which Holly is the head, and of the people who I considered the podium team. And th those were the people who came to get the offering plates out and the name tags out and to make sure we had sacred cookies and to get things set up and to push the recording buttons and all the things that had to happen for this class to work. And um, I am asking them, and I'm going to ask you if you would like to weigh in on this to do so, um, to, I'll put some questions up in a, in a minute to, for you to see what we're doing. When a major change occurs, there are a number of reactions that people have. Uh, one of the reactions is denial. I can't believe that this has happened. I don't like this. Surely this isn't real. It's going to go away in a few weeks. I think I felt that. Yeah. It's going to be a couple of weeks. We'll be back as usual. And I think maybe my denial of my own grief is why I have not had this conversation until now. Yeah. We have just not directly addressed the fact that ordinary life as it was is no more. We're coming back, but we're not there yet. Another reaction that people have to major change is anger and resistance. Um, I think you can see that in the way that some people flaunt, flaunt, is that the word? Mm -hmm. That reject. Uh, the recommendations of the CDC about wearing face masks and social distancing, physical distancing, um, and people just resist what's going on. Some people in ordinary life might say, well, if I can't have it like it was, I just won't tune in at all. That's an option that people have. But we can also do what I'm asking, and that is to explore how we can navigate the space actually embodying the values that I talk about every week of peace, love, joy, patience, and humility. And uh, then we will be able to reach a commitment that will sustain us until we get on the other side of this, which we will do. So some of the questions that I'm asking people to think about is what would you like to see more of in the future? Um, what are we doing right now that works for you? What would, what changes would you like to see? What content would you like to see? And what format changes might you suggest? Holly's got some ideas about that, which I'm excited about. <laughs> uh, but I was thinking, you know, we, we have talked a lot about experimenting with different formats. Mm -hmm. One of us would talk for 20 minutes, and then the other would question. Right. Or dialogue after. Um, dialogue after. We've talked about supplementing this time with maybe Zoom meetings. Yep. And then you have this idea. Well, one of the things we're currently exploring that we hope to have going is doing an additional podcast kind of in between the time that incorporates conversations, um, sort of the backstory of, of these talks, and then also bringing some of you all onto the podcast every couple of weeks to hear from you and to hear how you're doing, how you're maintaining your daily spiritual practice or not, um, how ordinary life is contributing to you so that we can find ways to connect outside of Sunday to Sunday. That's our... So I'm and really and reuptaking re re the blog a little bit, just even putting um, poetry that we might read or just trying, to, just trying to connect. I think what we both tapped into was this kind of, um, oh, this is going to be a while. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, joyfully resigned to uh, putting more energy mm -hmm. into what we're doing. Um, I'm currently on a task force right now that is exploring adding an additional um, 
worship service or worship liturgical experience for the people of St. Paul's. We're uh, experimenting, Dr. Randy Zerker and I, with uh, and others, with putting together a Compline service that would come online uh, maybe in a couple of weeks on Mondays, Monday evenings. Uh, we would do that, and I'm excited about that. Holly and I have spent a lot of time talking about um, what we would like to do over the next, I'm going to say, 10 weeks. Yes. It's going to be about that. I think yeah, it'll be about, uh, I think it would be about yeah. 10, 10 weeks. Yeah. And uh, Holly loves the work of Thich Nhat Hanh, as do I. Yeah. And we're going to take his term, interbeing. Yes. Yeah. It's a great phrase. Um, you know that uh, both Ilya Delio and Daramut Amuaku. Good did work. I, did, did they right? <laughs> Almost. Right. I mean, I'm not Irish, so I can't <laughs> say for sure. Uh, but. They they use that term. Yes. They quote uh, yeah. Thich Nhat Hanh using that term. Yeah. That's original with them. Well, it's kind of one of these words in Vietnamese that doesn't have an exact translation into English. And this was kind of the best word that translated from the Vietnamese origin, which we'll talk about. So the subtitle of what we'll be doing over the next 10 weeks is how Jesus and Buddha can guide us through the pandemic. So... Well, we don't know what the format's going to take, but we'll do it. <laughs> One of the things that some people have said that they uh, miss about ordinary life is um, th that uh, they miss magic. <laughs> and I keep trying to tell people, I don't do magic. Uh, I mean, kids do tricks. <laughs> uh, so there, then there are people like David Copperfield who... Uh, they are magicians, and they do uh, big illusions and so forth. But as a graduate of Hogwarts, I do illusions. And um, so I thought I would just this one time. Just this one time. <laughs> one time. Um, I want to tell you about the bottle of impossibility, mm -hmm. the uh, dog pull toy of unstoppability, <laughs> Look, in times of pandemic, you have to improvise. <laughs> yes, you do. And this this uh, magic book by one of my professors at Hogwarts uh, is the Cloak of Invisibility, so that you can see that the ball, there's no way this ball can get into this, except if I cover the jar with the... Does that work? <laughs> and that, folks, is a miracle. <laughs> now there would be thunderous <laughs> applause. Or, or <laughs> dead I, silence. Right. <laughs> now, I want you to know that that uh, effect that you just saw um, was made possible by the technical assistance of Holly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a ma magician in training. I too. I'm a first year at Hogwarts. Maybe second year. So here we are. Uh, Holly convinced me, talked to me one time about we should do a class together where we don't really prepare. Except I have. I prepare for you, and you prepare for me. Well, I you prepared. over prepared. I have prepared for I'm, for something called sitting on the hot seat. And I, it reminded me of this cartoon. <laughs> you sure you want to open this can of worms? Yes. So I got to tell you. I love that I'm getting all the credit for this. <laughs> I would say blame might be a better word. So you know who to come to if this goes badly. Okay. So I told you this story, but these yeah. people don't know that. Yeah. So my beautiful bride. Uh, I've been teaching Ordinary Life for 20 years, yeah, over, 20, over years. 20 years, and um, yeah. two or three years into it, I said, God, I'm really having such a hard time with what I want to say Sunday, and she said, why not prepare, why not just go and maybe give a summary of what you've done the previous six weeks and have a Q&A, and so I came in here with that intention, and I made that announcement. After the announcements, I said, this is what I'm going to do today. And so somebody in the back of the room held up their hand. I said, oh, good. So we got <laughs> a question. question. And this person said, you didn't prepare anything for today? Uh-huh. And she left? Uh, yes, yeah, she, she asked it a couple of times. She, I said, no, we were going to have a, a Q 
Q&A. We'll dialogue with each other in here. And she said, you mean you don't have a talk to give today? And I said, well, not exactly. And she got up and left. Yeah. But that can't happen today. No. <laughs> well, one time Sherry and I did that when you got sick. Yeah. Well, we sat up here and led a discussion with the class, which um, was really, I thought, lovely and fruitful, actually. I, I watched yeah. that, actually. Yeah, yeah from yeah. your sick bed. So I had the flu. Yeah, yeah. I'm really disappointed that my T-shirt didn't come in. Yeah. I ordered no. a T-shirt. I love T-shirts. And um, I ordered a T-shirt that, it, it, that is in the colors and font that you're familiar with, uh -huh. but what it says on it is "Make America Intelligent Again." Uh -huh. Yes. I was going to wear that too. Yeah. So who's starting? Am I starting? Well, I've been talking the whole time we've been up here. Okay. So. Uh, you're going to get to talk some more. So what we've done is we've prepared for each other some questions, some ways to engage with each other that um, will allow for a little bit of spontaneity and back and forth, but. Uh, Bill doesn't know the questions. He knows two of the questions I've prepared for him, but he doesn't know all of them. I just know one. Oh, okay. And I don't know any of the questions you've prepared for me, so um, I'm a little more on the hot seat than you are. <laughs> they might not. Who knows? They may, we'll see how they challenge us. But I actually I did a little bit of, maybe it's cheating, but I reached out to a few people um, and said, what questions might you have for Bill? Um, for this Sunday as we prepare for the hot seat. And I got a few answers. And actually, um, two people had the exact same question, which was one that I had already written. So I feel like this is one that people always want you to speak to. You know, you have on uh, ordinary life the tenets of ordinary life. And first is we have a moral obligation to be happy. One of them. One of them. Maybe it's not first. It might be number seven. But um, Albert Camus, I just serendipitously was reading something this morning that talked about Albert Camus' philosophy that happiness is our existential duty. And Viktor Frankl, survivor of the Holocaust, absolute horrors, decided that he believed in optimism over fatality and pursued that as his sort of life's meaning. Mm -hmm. So what would you say you mean when you say we have a moral obligation to be happy. And how would you say that applies during challenging times? Mm. Well, um, I th let me say that um, I, I taught here at St. Paul's for 10 years, and I quit. I took a four-year hiatus in which I um, went through union an analysis and did a lot of reflection. I didn't stop coming to church. Sherry still sings in the choir, mm -hmm. so I was here every Sunday, but I didn't <coughs> teach. And during that time, I really um, think I went through my own no longer not yet sure. period of yeah. trying to figure out, so what? what is my life's meaning? Where do I want to go? What? this about and during that time I got real solid about my calling as a spiritual teacher mm -hmm. it's it's my it's what I do <clears throat> it's what I want to do and I think what I'm gifted to do and so during that time I began to write down my own if I'm going to teach what are the principles that will guide me mm. And one of them is nobody gets one up on life. Mm. A, a lot of these you can find in some form in Buddhism right. about the, the rules of life apply to us all. But I think one of my teachers, George Doherty, is the one who said that, um, he said a couple things. He said, my job is to knock you off a path. Your job is to get back on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he also said, I'll give you a principle that will take you home. And that's the principle of equality. Yeah. No one's up and no one's down. Right. And so I began to look at people that I admired as spiritual teachers. Thich Nhat Hanh would be one. Mm -hmm. The Dalai Lama would be one. Some other people who are no longer with us but whose writings are. Right. Like Meister Eckhart. Yeah. And yep. People like that. Mm -hmm. And they're joyful people. Mm -hmm. People like to be around them. I, ha I have a colleague who personally knows the Dalai Lama, and he said, people like to be with the Dalai Lama just to hear him laugh. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I, think that's, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And, and, and the Dalai Lama himself says the most important quality about a spiritual teacher is cheerfulness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. About who, who, who wants to be with a dour person. Right, yeah. And so maybe if I were rewriting those principles today, I would say we have a moral obligation to be joyful in uh-huh. spite of everything. Uh-huh. But um, we don't control this pandemic. We right. don't control. I mean, we're going to die. Yeah. I mean, the, the solid principle in Buddhism is that you grow old, you get sick, and you die. Mm-hmm. Have a nice day. Yeah. Right. What are you going to do in the in between? So in, the, <laughs> in the in the in the meantime, we can we can enjoy the life that we have with grace and appreciation, no matter what. And Viktor Frankl said. No, uh, people can take everything away from you, but one thing, yeah. and that's your de- your decision about how you're going to react react to any given circumstance. Right. I've definitely sat with you in some, um, I would say, dark nights of the soul moments in my own life, and you've never said to me, "Just be happy." So it's not this sort of platitude. It's a in a sense, what I imagine, and I think this is a little bit of what Camus says is that joy pulls us forth Mm -hmm. from that dark night, right? This sort of, I've begun to think that as we stay alive, we are participating in hope. Whether we know it or not, when we choose to stay alive, we participate in hope, which if we maintain that thread, we have access to joy, you know? So um, I have been through dark nights of my own. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all go mm-hmm. through dark nights. They, yeah. And um, if somebody is watching and says, well, how do you practice this? How do you get in a way to live your life from a joyful position? My answer is to um, my practical answer is to keep a, a gratitude journal. Yeah. Write down every day in the morning, every every single morning, I reflect on the day that I just lived, mm-hmm. and I write down what happened in that day, what I can look back in that day on that day, and and be grateful for. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there have been times when all I could write was I woke up. Yeah, yeah. And that's enough. I mean. I think the second thing uh, that's true for me is that in the more I have studied and hung out with this Jesus fellow, <laughs> uh, the more I have come to understand that the empowering community that he called people into uh, was a community that was marked by by joy. Yeah, that's the thing that marked the the, fir- the early Christian movement until uh, and forgiveness and generosity, until it got co-opted by the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. There is also, I think, a sense of belonging. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which which may manifest joy when you feel connected, when you feel you belong. There is um, inevitable joy that's part of that. You know, in in what we're going going through right now in this pandemic, uh, which is a time of dissent, Mm -hmm. we're finding out that so many people have defined our nation's well-being and their personal well-being on ascent, Mm -hmm. on having the economy growing every year and the jobs report growing every year and all this stuff getting bigger and bigger. And what we have had our faces rubbed into is that we don't control that. Right. And if you tie your happiness to that, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. happiness isn't dependent on right. that. One of the things I love about Pierre Terre de Chardin is, you know, he is um, one of the recent 20th century writers as a theologian, as an archaeologist, as a natural scientist who had a very deep sense of of evolutionary time, deep time evolution. And one of his thoughts about suffering and evil is that it's an evolutionary growing pain. And the reminder is evolution is long. You know, we're 4 billion years on this earth. We're 14.8 billion years in the, in the cosmos. And, and growing up takes a while. 
But I love his perspective that you know evolution is long, and this is a growing pain collectively mm -hmm. that will usher in a different layer of consciousness, whether we know it or not, right? So, yeah. So a question that I would have for you yeah. is that during this pandemic, you have been uh, forced to um, spend more time with your children. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Hi, kids. <laughs> Tell me about that. Tell me about yeah. the difficulties and joys of... Sure. Um, so it's... I'll, I'll back up a bit. Josh and I are both educators. Um, I was a classroom teacher for 12 years. I still I have been working with teachers mostly in the last couple of years. Um, I can count on one finger the amount of times I've raised my voice to a classroom of children. And, and this, this, that particular class was really hard. And um, I raised my voice and I, you know, basically commanded them to sit down and shut up, not in those words. Um, and I'm, I was proud of that as an educator, that I wasn't a yeller. And I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't lose my patience easily with, with children. I thought, you know, when you go into mothering and you're like, I've got teaching on my back. I, I have a degree in psychology and child development. I'm going to be a great mom. I've got all the tools. I can count on one finger the amount of days that I haven't yelled at my children. <laughs> and I think, you know, that, and I didn't think I was a yeller, you know, but some of it, Josh is not a, really a yeller. You know, when he's frustrated because he does get a little bit louder, he'll be like, come here, son. And you know, that sort of serious voice, oh crud, we're in trouble, you know? With me, I'm like, put on your shoes! You know, and they're like, oh, that's just mom talking. That's just mom being normal. You know, they think your effing socks is like a whole word. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say it here, but... Well, you just yeah. did. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't say the actual word. Um, but it does give me a lot of pleasure to say that word sometimes. It's a release of something. Um, I think... What has been challenging is that I'm not as patient as I would like to be with my own children. And I've had some moments of regret where I am like, God, why can't you just get this? In fact, Josh says that my um, teaching your kids from home book is going to be called, <laughs> what the F is that? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's about how I'm doing. <laughs> and on the other hand, there's some real sweet moments about it. Um, I'm seeing my kids pursue a line of questioning that they might not get the opportunity to do in school. They each are really curious boys in their own way. Um, I have a son who loves maps. And he, um, I have a printout of a map, of a world map that doesn't have every single detail on it. But he has, over the last couple of weeks, added the details, like Micronesia and all the little barrier islands around Australia. You know, he's just sort of adding these details. Wow. And seeing that, so that feels really natural for me to encourage their creativity, their pursuit of something that they're really interested in. Where I get the most frustrated is, we have to do this assignment and you have to understand it. <laughs> and I think what I realize is as, a, as an educator, I'm a little too tied to them getting it. Yeah instead of just kind of going, just do your best and turn it in. You know, you, 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 what you say, it gives me, uh, stirs up a memory. When I was in the university, I was part of a class that was very unruly. Uh -huh. And uh, I think we were very challenging for the professor who one day walked into class and slammed his hand down as hard as he could on the podium mm -hmm. and said, I demand pandemonium. Everybody just screamed. <laughs> Maybe I should try that. <laughs> it was very effective. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, my kids are probably harder on Josh and me than they are on their teachers. I don't want to do that. You know, they don't say that to their teachers. Right. They don't they can resist get away with a lot. It with yeah. 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 But you did say yeah. that you hope after this pandemic that people wake up and maybe raise all public school teachers' Teacher salaries. salaries because they <laughs> do such an essential job. I am a firsthand aware of how much teachers do and how hard it is to, to make a, a, a living with a family on a teacher's salary. And I, I have huge appreciation for our teachers and the amount of work they've put into preparing for this time. So if there are any teachers out there listening, thank you. 
And, you know, so I think they've really done their best at creating opportunities for kids to keep learning and being engaged. I'm amazed by that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My turn. Okay. <laughs> so I... Is that sheet full of questions? It is so full. It's front and back. Um, <laughs> we uh, might not get to all of them. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so this is a little quick, hopefully easy question, but um, this is straight from Josh. What what are you reading right now? Well, I just finished reading a book on how they built the battleships that were used in World War II. It was riveting. <laughs> okay. Thanks. I wondered if I'd get to use that job. Oh, today. I walked right into it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm reading um, the third of Ken Follett's trilogies on uh, medieval uh, Europe uh, yeah. in, the, in the 15th century. The one I'm reading now is uh, A Pillar of Fire. I can't remember. I've read the first two. Columns of the Earth. Yeah. Pillars no, of pillars, the Earth. Pillars of the Earth, uh, World Without End, and Columns, a column of fire. Okay. That's what I'm reading. Okay. The, the column of fire is about the great battle between the Protestants and the Catholics at the time of Henry VIII, when they really did burn people at the stake mm -hmm. for heresy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you reached back into your sort of um, memory, you are... I know a couple of people who are really, really, really well-read, who just read. You're one of them. Um, Josh is another. My dad is another. My friend William is another. They're just voracious readers. If you could reach back to maybe a few resources that you think over time you've read. I had one that I thought you might say. Um, I'm not sure if you will. What would you say are the top three to five resources that people could turn to right now? Reading or otherwise. First one that comes to mind is Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. That's required reading for everybody. And now would be a great time to read it if mm -hmm. you have not read it. Mm -hmm. um, I, it breaks my heart, really, that there is so much religious and spiritual illiteracy in the world. Mm -hmm. people, people who sometimes are the most religious mm -hmm. are the most religiously ignorant. They don't know... Uh, how the Bible was put together. Right. They don't know the history of religion. So um, I would say it's important to read Karen Armstrong's two books, The History of God and The Battle for God. Um, there was somebody in Ordinary Life a few months ago who came up to me before class began and said, I just finished reading Karen Armstrong's Battle for God. Everybody ought to read that mm -hmm. book. I mean, mm -hmm. that that sort of thing. I think that it would be really helpful for people to read um, uh, Jim Fowler's book on stages of faith, mm, faith mm -hmm, development, mm -hmm. uh, because one of the principles of ordinary life is that after we've met the survival needs, our primary purpose on this earth is to grow, to grow spiritually and psychologically and intellectually and right. in every way that we possibly can. Well, the Fowler provides a roadmap mm -hmm. to let you know where you're going about that. Yeah. Um, Jim Hollis's book, Finding Meaning in the Second Half of Life, would be another one that I would highly recommend. Or if you don't want to do that one, you could take up and read Living the Examined Life by mm -hmm. Hollis. 21 chapters that you can read a chapter every yeah. day for 10, it takes 10 minutes, and then when you finish, read it again. Make notes on it. Right. Um, yeah. How does this apply to me? How can I put this to work? Yeah. I thought you would for sure put in every day we begin again as a little meditation. I've got it on my list to mention because you told me that you <laughs> might ask me about books and I just went through and wrote some things down. Let me see what, oh, uh, people ought to read Marcus Borg uh -huh. and Crossan. Uh-huh. Um, read their books on uh, the first week and the last week, that those would be enough to give you a good education about what they do. Ernst Becker's Denial of Death yeah. is a really important. Yeah. I could go on and on. Yeah. So you have a lot more than five. <laughs> Maybe we should do five a week. Five books to consider reading this week. <laughs> but most people don't read five books in a week. 
You're an exception to that. I read a lot. Yes, and you read quickly. I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a bit of a plotter through books, meaning yeah. I kind of And I make wanna, notes. Yeah, I do too. So uh, I would say there's probably some guilty pleasures we could throw in there, like the Harry Potter series. <laughs> could be fun to revisit right now. I read those. Um, yeah. 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 So um, I wanted to ask you, mm -hmm. uh, based on your work in this, mm -hmm. I know that you and I have had multiple conversations about God. Yes. Yeah. I have a similar question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, do you believe that there is intelligent energy mm. in the, I don't know, what the, what, what's the proper word? Is it proper to say universe or cosmos? I think you could say both. Um, the universe, cosmos is wider than the universe technically, because there's this idea of the multiverse, right? That we live in a universe and there's multiple universes. So cosmos may hold all of that. So right. I, I, I tell you, I neglected to mention um, a, a book that I'm currently reading, which is way over my head, mm -hmm. is a book called A Beautiful Question. Mm -hmm. And the, the question is, is there inherent beauty in the, in the cosmos? Mm -hmm. And the, the author of this book um, is saying yes, 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 and all the way, and has all of these templates of, of um, art objects and physics, mathematical equations, and so forth and so forth, and say, isn't that beautiful? And right. I, okay, so... So is the question, what do I make of God these days, or is no, the question... No, do, is there intelligent energy? Okay. So this is, this is, I'll try to make this sort of simple and accessible. Um, I just read something last night when I was reading Diamu Omiraku's book, which I've dove back into since I've finished all my papers. And he mentions um, the idea that, um, I'm forgetting his name, that a British cosmologist and astrologist, uh, astronomer came up with, that he pressed against the concept of the Big Bang not as a way that the universe began to unfold, but that if we are not careful, we put the Big Bang, there was nothing, then there was something, alongside the creation story. There was God, there was nothing, there was something. And his idea is something can't come out of nothing, right? It, 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 we, can, we can just transfer all of our sort of feelings about God being a creator and everything bursting forth and call it the Big Bang. There was the Big Bang and then there was something. What he says is there's always been something. And we don't know what that something is. But one of the terms that I really, really love is this idea of fecund nothingness, right? So nature abhors a vacuum. Even in a vacuum, neutrinos begin to appear, and what happens is they begin to experience attraction. They're attracted to each other. So the way of anything that is creative is attraction and then differentiation. So they attract together, and then they differentiate and become other things, and then they attract again, and then they differentiate, and each time this thing is growing. And over time, then, the differentiated substances commune. So the nature of creativity is also communion. Differentiated communion. So, so there is, I think, an intelligence to that, right? Whether I no longer believe in a preeminent God that was this all-knowing all mind that put everything into motion. I believe in imminence in that this intelligence, this creativity and communion is evolving in real time. So there was something, I'm gonna quote Brian Swim here, like mind, possible in whatever we conceive of as the beginning. Just as there was something like consciousness, there was something like poetry possible at the beginning of time, but as communion, as differentiation leads to communion, those things evolve. 
So it's an evolutionary experience. It's a process. So Amuraku has a book called Quantum Theology. Right, yes, yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming that where you intend your work working on this PhD mm -hmm. in cosmology to take you is in that direction, that you see something inherently spiritual about this. Yes, because I believe the process itself is spiritual. The process itself is an evolving consciousness, an evolving intelligence, right? What we're learning as humans is that we have choice and we have this ability to reflect back to this fecund nothingness. Here's what I make of you, universe. I'm going to write a poem about it. I'm going to make art about it. I'm going to get curious about it. I want to know how the bird flies. I'm going to create an airplane, right? So we as humans have this capacity to reflect back to our evolutionary experience. Um, I don't know that we're unique in that way. I can't speculate entirely about animal consciousness, but I do know that that is part of being human, this ability to reflect back. And so we are evidence of the evolutionary consciousness, evolutionary intelligence. Well, Brian Swim, yeah. uh, one of the things I got from reading him was that, I, I'm sure this is misquoting, but he said you know, the, that in the evolutionary process, humans developed ears and mm -hmm. hearing. And mm -hmm. they said, well, what can we do with these? I know, let's make rhythm, let's yeah. make music. Yeah, same thing with the eyeball, right? The eyeball started as a light spot on the head of bacteria, a singular spot that could detect changes in darkness and light. It helped early bacteria know when to move away from the heat and when to move toward, toward the light to get food. And that eyeball, over time, we also have water-based eyeballs. That eyeball, over time, developed insight. So what was a biological adaptation then became a spiritual adaptation. You see, so, so for me, I, I think these things are kind of evolving as we are. And t that, to me, is no less awesome. It's astounding to me that we are experiencing evolution of spirit, evolution of consciousness, evolution of intelligence as we go. I just think that's beautiful. And so to me, I don't get too lost in going, was God the intelligent creator behind all of this? Or did it, did it evolve out of a fecund nothingness, right? The, 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 to me, there's no more or less awesomeness in that because it's still a spiritual experience. It's still an incredible experience of just being alive in this mystery. So, you know, in my reading of all of this and um, particularly coming away from the reading I've done of Karen Armstrong's work, I came up with this phrase, the evolution of right religion, which mm -hmm. is what we're going to be talking about for the next right. 10 weeks. Yeah. And I got so excited when we were talking about this this week to think about how I've not visited these principles in mm -hmm. years, but how these new evolutionary insights are going to continue to shape new teachings mm -hmm. about these very things right. that have right. been part of the religious evolution since uh, 7th century BC. Yeah. So to kind of follow on that thread of is there intelligence um, or, or is, what, is, what do we name this, I had a similar question. And I'm wondering how your experience of the divine, of God, of, of this has changed over time. You, I, I once asked you if you believed in a sort of preeminent creator God. You had a wonderful answer that I can't totally remember. Uh, I'm wondering if you can, or maybe you can say it now. But what is your current theology, given what you also know about deep time evolution, cosmology, and how you've engaged with that subject? So uh, one of the people on the podium team, a man I, I love a lot, is Wayne Herbert. Mm -hmm. And Wayne uh, sits right there and uh, Wayne. Uh, Wayne and, and his, yeah. his usually wife. with some neon knee socks yeah, oh or yeah. something yeah neon knee socks. <laughs> and he's he's uh if you're here in time to see the announcement slides a lot of the cartoons that i get he yeah sends to me. and he sent me one this week that i was went wow that's so wonderful and the question was uh that he posed was what if after you die God says to you, well, how was heaven? Ah, 
Isn't that just Lovely. fabulous? Yeah. So that's a way that I would begin to answer that. I I I think that um, I go back to something Michael Morewood said. When when we pray, what are you asking me to imagine? in praying anything mm -hmm. to whom do i address this prayer mm -hmm. what is this all about mm -hmm. and it is everything yeah yeah it's everyone right and uh, the um, theological reflection that i asked people at the beginning of this talk to go and watch um, which is on the saint paul's website is that um it, we are, we are called in our lives to be an embodiment of the teachings that Jesus, Buddha, Confucius, whoever is your guru uh, or guide that you are committed to follow, we're called to be that embodiment, mm -hmm. not to ride on their coattails. Right. That's growing up. That's growing up, and that's what yeah. we need to do because yeah. we we have in this culture. Shane Claiborne uh, tweeted something. I'm not a big Twitter fan, but I got on. Twitter. <laughs> you don't get in Twitter battles over I, at night. I, no, no, no. I don't do. I don't tweet. I don't tweet. Do we tweet? Well, when we remind people on constant contact about the lessons, it goes to Facebook and Twitter. Right, if you the, remember to click the button. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember yeah. to do that. So I, do, yeah. I don't tweet. I don't do Facebook. Yeah. But I got on Twitter because in the beginning, Richard said, if you're going to have an outreach and you do that. I we said, have like 80 gonna, people. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so right. you do it. But anyway, yeah. Shane Claiborne, I follow him and uh, Sarah Cooper, of course, because yeah. I think she's so funny. Uh, Shane Claiborne tweeted a picture of somebody who was saying in one of these rallies to get the government open again, a guy had a sign that said, God will protect me from the virus. Mm -hmm. And yes. And he had a gun. Yeah. Hello? <laughs> yeah. So well, your God is your gun. That's a kind of what he's saying. That's kind yeah. of what he's saying. Yeah. And that's a 12-year-old. That's a yeah. That's not yeah. a mature stance about right. community. Right. Um, so... Um, I think that we we are to see the divine in each other, mm -hmm. and uh, we're made in the image and likeness of God. That is a tenet of the Abrahamic tradition. What does that mean? Right. Yeah. And God's not out there, mm -hmm. off, distant, but here. I think that's one of the gifts that I've gotten from ordinary life is um, a restoration to the faith that I grew up in, but in a, in, a, in a way that it applies to the process rather than to what came first or what comes last. I don't really know that I, I, I just don't lose a lot of sleep anymore over the first and the last. I really think the process is our spiritual unfolding. That's why having a developmental growth model is so important. Mm -hmm. You don't expect your third grade child to do advanced calculus. And if they are doing it, then you should make sure that you keep teaching them how to do it. They could be the next Einstein. They might be, yeah. but you don't oh, yeah. normally expect No, that. yeah. So you don't expect some child in the third grade to be able to have the conversation that you and I are having. Right. But you can't jump over any of the developmental phases that you have to go through to mm -hmm. grow up. And, and in that childhood, too, the, you know, children are seed planters. They ask these questions. What does it mean to be alive? What does, where do we go when we die? You know, so the, we're, we're also, we need to stay grown up to help nourish those seeds, I think. That the kids... I, I think my 10-year-old is responsible for me pursuing a degree in cosmology because of the questions he was asking really? yeah. and kind of his curiosity, and I want to be able to nurture those seeds. So I've told this story a, a, a dozen times, mm -hmm. but it's just one of the highlights of my own development, and I, I was given something to say. It didn't start up here. Um, 
after 9-11 occurred, my teaching in Ordinary Life shifted to really emphasize religious literacy a lot. And so I began to talk about the Bible and how the Bible came to be and began to talk about Jesus. Uh, If you want to put a book on your list that will really wake you up about the, the... the nature, meaning, character of Jesus. Read Bruce Chilton's book, Rabbi Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's just fabulous about Jesus was a guy who grew up, who had this life and had this mystical spiritual experience that he then allowed to redefine the cultural boundaries that he lived in. Right. It was amazing. But I gave this talk and in here, and this guy came up to me after class. He was carrying a Bible. Mm-hmm. He was really angry with me, doing talking to me like mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And he said, I get it. You don't believe in this, and you don't believe in this, and you don't. Let me just ask you, if you died tonight, what would happen to your eternal soul? Mm-hmm. And I was given this line. It just came. I said, if I die tonight, my soul's going to be where it is right this minute. Yeah. yeah. In the sacred heart of God, where could I go? Where else can I go? Yeah. And that's a, you know, this trying to get somewhere or get away from something is so much of our suffering, which we'll talk about when we get into Buddhism and Jesus, right? Is um, this not being right here is so much of our suffering. It is the cause yeah. of suffering. Yeah. Is and that's, yeah. Not being with what is. So I have a, 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 maybe just one final question, unless you have a burning one that you need an answer to. Like, what size shoe do I wear? No, I'm okay. w- I'm yeah. <laughs> one final question. Now give it to me. Okay. Um, and it may spark something else. But what, what you mentioned, I think, is over the course of the 20, how old am I? 22 years that I've known you. Um, and gradually you've gotten to know you better and better. And I think you've gotten to know us better and better, right? Um, you have always made it really important to stay relevant, to stay um, present to what is. I think about how you've talked about being with Reverend Bill Lawson and in, in helping to integrate Houston. That was relevant. Um, it still is. And then in, um, you've always been an advocate for inclusion, LGBTQIA, for ec- racial equity. So you've stayed relevant, you know, and here you are at 82 years old and you're still relevant. You haven't rested on your laurels. What do you think you are, what traditions are you bringing and what are you looking, what future hopes are you also planting right now? How are you staying relevant? Yeah, I think so. Uh, We have to go now, so. (laughs) See you next week. <laughs> so, um, you got one minute and forty seconds. <laughs> well, the, the I'm in the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. and that's what I bring. That um, I'm committed to working out my understanding of what it means to live in an empowering community using the the uh, teachings and the life of Jesus as a model. Uh, the church has not done that, not done a good job of that. The, it, it, I think one of the reasons that organized religion right now is having such a troubled time in this pandemic is that churches don't like to change. But now we are being required to innovate and mm-hmm. to come up with ways to stay relevant. Relevancy doesn't mean giving people what they want. Relevancy means giving people what they need. Now, there's a little arrogance in that stance to assume that one would know what people need. But that's the role of a spiritual teacher. To You've earned the right. On. You've been on this. Yeah, to, to take on that yeah. particular space. You know, we are we are in liminal space. Yes, always. We're always in between. Well, people don't know that. <laughs> yeah. But we're forced into it now. Yeah. And I, I remember when I came up with the phrase two years ago or so about living in the time between the no longer and the not yet. I thought, well, this is interesting. This is academically fun. (laughs) And it is. It is actually fun to say, okay, um, what does it mean not to try to hold on, but to relax into what is, to let go, have faith, to trust, and all that sort of stuff. But now we're forced into it. Yeah. 
whether you like it or not, we're in the space where we're trying to figure out what it means to um, trust and have faith in each other mm -hmm. and, and to build a, a, the community of empowerment, yeah. particularly that embraces those who are at the bottom. You know, people like to quote Julian Norwich, who said, all should be well and all manner of things shall be well, and what she said. She's a great a person to, um, to read. What does she mean when she says all? Yeah. All. Uh-huh. All. Uh. All. All. The essential workers, people of color, people of poor, people who don't have, people who are unstatist. Our responsibility is to make all shall be well a reality. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. We got to go. Mm -hmm. So has this been okay for you? Yeah, I loved it. How about you? <laughs> well, I'll have a text next week. <laughs> okay, no matter where you go, no matter what happens this week, remember this, you carry precious cargo, so watch your step. And we will see you here next Sunday. Thank you. <laughs>